0: Coming live from Orlando, Florida, USA is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Darlene Preday, CEO of DP Consults, and she is also a sales coach with 25 years of experience in sales and business development. Welcome to the show, Darlene.
1: Thank you, AJ. I appreciate you
0: having me. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Welcome to India. It's a global show. It will be going to a lot of places. But in India itself, there are a huge number of people, huge number of small businesses, huge number of companies, huge number of coaches who can do with a lot of understanding, learning from you. And we'll be talking about how to master sales objections from prospects. And since you, you focus on entrepreneurs and business coaches will also be talking about small businesses so first straight away to the question itself david is what are in your understanding the general objections that we get from our sales prospects or sales people get from their sales prospects
1: sure so i mean i think the number one objection that people hear is i don't have the money i can't move forward with it which sometimes is a legitimate objection more times than not it really you really have to uncover what's behind that because people use that as an excuse too it's just fear-based so um addressing that and really understanding more about what is their true objection and understanding what their need is is
0: the a better way to approach it okay okay uh, is there any other objection that you'd like to, is it always about the money? Because when you approach somebody and you think that it's, a, it, it's, it's your uh, prospect, sales prospect, then obviously does money part always work out if a person is, it's it just as a $25 product or $50 product and a person is very rich, it's very obvious. So how does that work out? Should you just take it on face value and move on that this is not your ideal client?
1: So, AJ, I think we have to backtrack a little bit because to build up to the objections, what I do and what I would advise people is to approach the sales call, not as selling, but as a discovery call, really understanding what the client needs, really conveying your value and what you have to offer. When that happens, that's when you can really uncover what the true objections are. So people are just reactive, like I don't have the money or I don't have the time to implement what you're telling me and different things like that. When you have that discovery call and start building that relationship, then you earn their trust and then you can sort of ask them open-ended questions around it. So instead of just getting a flat no, you're going to start being just inquisitive and curious about them, like... Where do you see value? Where do you, what are your pain points? What, what does your life look like if you don't have this solution? So that is a better way to approach it as opposed to just going head to head with their objections.
0: Okay. Okay, Darlene. Uh, so since you named Discovery Call, and I do understand it a bit, but not as well that you would be able to explain. And for a lot of small businesses, especially end coaches, it's a new word, which is gaining currency. And not everybody uh, understands it that way. It's not when under, a lot of people do not use it. And even if I understand or use it, my potential customer may not understand it, uh, you know. So what exactly is discovery call? How do we use this particular thing so that we get more leads, more, more people, more prospects are able to talk to, to us for small to small businesses and coaches? <laughs>
1: Great question. So my approach to sales is really um, where I'm trying to help someone. So I say a discovery call, there's a couple of different components. First and foremost for coaches, there's a million coaches out there, right? And you want to understand what that person needs because you want to make sure that call, it's a discovery call, which is two-part. You're understanding what this prospect needs And you're seeing if that person is a good client for you, because if they're not a good client, then you're not going to be able to perform your best and you're not going to be able to build your credibility. So doing a couple of things. If I have a meeting with someone, I do research on them. I look at all of their profiles, their LinkedIn, all of their social media. I do some digging about the company. I get a full spectrum of the background as much as possible. When you're dealing with some small businesses, sometimes that's limited, but even going to their website, most clients have an all about me section seeing, do they like dogs? Do they have a family, you know, really understanding a little bit more. So then you're approaching the call with some common ground. So you can have in your mind, okay, AJ, I know that you, you know, have a rescue pup and that sounds great. And, you know, just really building that foundation before you go in and you're trying to sell them. Then what I like to do on that call is ask a lot of questions, right? People like to share about themselves, small businesses. They put their heart and soul into building a business. And anytime somebody has an opportunity to share um, how they built the business, what that business means to them, as well as, Also, I like to ask the why, why do you, why do you have your business? Everybody has a different why some people, um, start a business for financial freedom or they want to travel or they have a ill spouse. Whatever that looks like, you want to get to the heart of why this person started their business and what their goals are. Not everyone just wants to increase revenue. Not everyone wants to manage people. Sometimes people want to be more effective. Sometimes people want more personal time. So discovering what their goals are and then understanding, again, back to the pain points. So the pain points are, AJ, you know, you have a successful business, where are you still struggling? What do you wish you had less of? What do you wish you had more of? Um, And really having that open conversation to ensure that you get a full picture of who they are. Then instead of selling, what you're going to do is share about what you have to offer. What is the value? Um, You know, Reflecting those questions back, AJ, I heard you say you don't have a work life balance. And you know, that's a struggle a lot of my clients have. If you did X, Y, and Z, that would give you more time for your family. Or I had a client just like you who was struggling with this pain point, and this is how I help them. So you're painting a picture, you're visualizing what that person would look like with your solution and helping them see themselves living out that solution as opposed to just saying what you do and
0: how you can help. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Full it makes a lot of sense, Darlene. And in fact, uh, since we are talking about understanding this thing called discovery call, normally, you know, uh, Darlene, I see discovery calls for different durations, 15 minutes, minimum 10 minutes. And then there is even discovery call of half an hour, 45 minutes. Now, uh, because there is an opportunity I'm asking you right now, what is the ideal duration? Because in 45 minutes, everybody will get their problem solved and will never be heard, especially if you are a coach. In terms of small business, if suppose somebody has an online, say, handloom shop, and they want to sell something, clothing, anything else, handmade product. A lot of sales are happening online. So in that case, how much time is the ideal time to allocate in small business as well as if you are a coach? See, even I put a discovery call, but nobody nobody has ever turned up. So I don't know if people understand it or don't understand it. But uh, or, or you should much more openly say you put code Calendly out there. It does not work. So how does it start working for people and what is the ideal time duration?
1: Sure. So I think it depends on what your service is. And certainly with online products and different things like that, it may be different. If you are selling B2B and you want to establish with, um, we'll talk about products first. So if you're talking about products and you want it to, your product to be in someone's store, Establishing that relationship, again, still you want to visit the store. You want to understand what they sell and why it would be a good fit for them and that type of thing. So I would say uh, as a rule of thumb, about a half an hour, right? You want to establish some sort of relationship. You don't want to just go in, pitch your product and leave. You want to understand who they are. You want to make sure that if the time is not right, you're building that relationship that they will keep you in mind in the future, you know, especially for products, there are budgets, there's open to buys, there's different things like that, that may not, you know, I love your product, but I don't have room in your, in the store right now. Um, What you can do is leave that door open and establish that relationship, give them information, follow up with them, never leave that discovery call without saying, I completely understand you don't have room in the store for it now. Is there a better time to follow up? What does Q2 look like? You know, how can I get in before you make your buying decisions for your fall line or whatever it may be? So really understanding a timeline and have a definitive follow-up time with them. For coaches, yes, you don't want to spend endless hours on the phone with someone, solve their problem, and then have them leave. What you do want to do is, um, again, establish that relationship. So I usually leave about a half an hour, but I buffer it because some people, it takes a little bit longer. Some people, it's, you know, in and out. They're short on time. They just want to hear it and that type of thing. But um, leave enough time because, again, as a coach, you don't want to bring somebody in there that doesn't understand the value or is not going to be a good client for you. Because then that is just going to make your coaching miserable. They're not going to be happy and everything like that. So it is if you view it as an interview for not just you selling to them, but you vetting out who you want to bring in as a client, you need a good half an hour to be able
0: to do that. Right. Right, darling. Now let's come to the uh, prospects part, objections from prospects. Much more focused on that. Again, yeah. Small business and coaches. Businesses are very small. So many a times it is the owner, founder or uh, the person who is making the product. They themselves want, want to talk. Even in terms of coaches, it's the person himself or herself. In situations, in several cases, in, you know, in terms of products, people say, I have seen cheaper products than this. At some other site, but they will never say which site. Mm-hmm. Then again, they will say, can you give me more discount? Mm-hmm. Okay, they're right. It keeps on happening. I see with my friends, with other places also and online. When I do the research, I do find such things happening. Then they have their own question. Oh, I have been cheated by somebody else earlier on. I the, It was not great. How do I trust? Me? Yes. Okay. So these are questions now you don't know those people are genuine buyers or they are just wasting your time or they are just having fun whatever it is yeah where how do you deal with those things and second thing is that there are real buyers real prospects who may be interested or who may have used your product but they will not be satisfied how do you have that empathy at that how do you the best way to you know to make sure that you are uh, going for customer delight how do you look at?
1: yeah absolutely so there's there's a couple of different things in my career I've sold I was in the fashion industry I sold products I also served services for many many years right so um, there's some similarities, but it's definitely a little bit different. I think people like to negotiate when you're dealing with products. That's just the nature of it. I was a buyer also, so I get that part of it. You always want to feel like you're getting a bargain. sorry, um,
0: to, sorry to interrupt uh, Darlene, but is it more that people like to haggle or ask for more discount from small businesses? Big businesses, they feel like their ego will be you know hurt if they are asking for discount they are more comfortable with big players and don't go out and ask for too much discount until it's openly written down there that we are giving this much of discount.
1: So, yeah. So I think that that might be part of it, but what I would say for the small business owner is to know your worth, know what the value is, know what your competition has, know why you're different and know your value, whether it's a product, whether it's a service and, Go into the meeting. I'm not saying not to be flexible, but where where I find, especially with services, I always say like, this is what it is and there's no negotiation and that's it. Um, Not because you don't want to be flexible, because you know your value, you've already priced it well. Um, Just to price something high to make somebody feel like they have a value is ridiculous. That just ruins your credibility. So I think by approaching it and saying, you know what, AJ, I appreciate the fact that, you know, you want a discount, but this is where I priced it because of the quality of the materials that I use and the time involved in different things like that. And I want to make sure everybody's getting a fair price. So I priced it fairly, and this is what it is. Now there are with products volume discounts and and different things like that but i would say that the owner of the small business selling their products needs to have that really established so this way they're not thrown by somebody who is saying well i can get the same thing for less you know that's that's usually not true they're usually not comparing apples to apples, if you know that expression, right? They're not comparing the same things. So again, back to knowing your worth, knowing your value for a product, coming back and saying, well, I you know, respectfully disagree because of the fact that my product has X, Y, and Z is made with these things. And that type of thing we make in small batches, you know, we are not mass producing and just, you know, doing those different things. So that creates the value and and leaves it at that. Most people ask just because they feel like they they have to ask, right. And maybe there's no expectation. As far as services go. Knowing Knowing your niche, knowing your value, knowing what you could bring, as opposed to haggling and trying to undervalue what you have, um, I present it like, what is your time worth? Like, I'm I'm in the virtual assistant space, right? And people say, well, I can't afford that. I could do it myself. Yeah, but what is your time worth? What could you do? You could do it yourself, but how's that working for you? They're coming to you because they have an issue. They still have a problem. So if they're convincing themselves that they can solve it themselves, it's it's not, you know, it's not the right fit. More times than not, they're going to really understand, yes, that's true. What I've been doing is not working. Therefore, I need to change the way I'm doing it. Um, so that can really, help by putting that perspective of what is their time worth? What do you have to lose, right? What do you have to lose by putting my handmade bracelets in? I'll give it 30 days. And if you're not selling any, I'll take them back. You know, there's, especially with small businesses, you have a lot of agility and a lot of different things to do. So, you know, as opposed to discounting your goods, maybe let them test it or, maybe do some kind of small initiative that if it does work, then they can, you know, order more or whatever it may
0: be. Okay. Okay. And in terms of coaches, a lot of coaches I have seen that they write that if you are not satisfied with the outcome, then you will get a full refund. You can get a full refund. How does, is that as a strategy? And how do you deal with people who may be happy or not happy we don't know but they may ask for a refund because there can be different sort of uh, sort of customers and there are people who like to just look for the internet to the internet to look for whatever is freely available available just for free how do you deal
1: with that so i have some strong opinions about that i personally as a coach would never offer a money back guarantee Coaching is a relationship. Coaching is a two-way street. You can you can have, give them the best tools, the best advice, the best processes. If they're not following it and doing their part, it is not going to be successful and it may have nothing to do with the coach. So um, I think setting clear objectives, expectations, understanding why the client is coming, setting clear objectives of what you can do for them is important. I coach on sales, right? I can't guarantee what their sales are going to be. Everything is so different. What I can guarantee is I'm going to give them the confidence, the processes, the deliverables to be able to build up their sales funnel and everything, but they have to implement it. So um, I think it's a very slippery slope if you start getting back into
0: guarantees with coaching. Right, right. And how do we bring empathy into this whole process? Because whoever it is, we can't judge your uh, judge your, uh, your customers, our customers. We can't do that. So how do we overcome these objections with empathy, how do we use our brain fully so as to be fair to the other side, as well as to be fair to ourselves?
1: I love that question, AJ. I think empathy is a superpower and people really need to use it. People are scared. Fear is like all of these objections really based in fear. So putting somebody, and we know as small business owners, right? Right. Money is an issue and you may have tried things. I think you brought this up. You may have tried things that didn't work or you had somebody rip you off before and different things like that. So you're coming into it with fear. So by empathizing and as the salesperson or coach, putting yourself in that person's shoes to say, it is a big investment. It is a big investment of time, money, energy, all of those things. This person doesn't have the emotional um, investment to fail again with something that they've tried. So really meeting them where they are, I would rather have those conversations. And if I truly do not feel like it's the next step for them, there may be another service. There may be another time that is better. So I never push someone to do something that I, if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't do myself. And that comes across as authentic. It comes across as caring, empathetic, and all of those different things. And that builds trust because a lot of business owners have been hurt before and different things like that. So that builds trust. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn into a client initially, but down the road. It may, or at least I can operate with integrity and be able to know that I gave them a great starting point, a piece of advice, some food for thought. And if it works out in the future, they're gonna come to me really understanding that this is the right solution.
0: Right, right, Darlene. So is it is it you know, peace of mind, an ideal client? Is it more related to finding your ideal client to have your buyer persona in the best manner possible uh, because a lot of people try to sell to everyone and a lot of uh, you know just somebody's they drop in and then that creates problem how do we minimize the conflicts in terms of unnecessary potential clients which we which are actually not potential clients but they are just numbers how how do you look at it should we much more focus on the ideal client part of it, and then look at the sales part?
1: Yes, I think 100%. Really understanding who your service is going to benefit. There may be a broader fray, right? If your core customer is here, there may be other people that could benefit from your services that maybe you don't think initially or as you develop more and different things like that. But I think knowing the core that basic persona of who am I going to be able to serve well, who can I know day in and day out that my service is going to help. That is absolutely true because then it really brings in the right people. Um, especially for new salespeople, they feel like more like, Oh, if I offer all of these things, you know, cast this big net, then I'll be more valuable. The opposite, it seems counterintuitive to niche down and to really have a focus because you feel like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm making, you know, I'm making my target audience so much smaller. You can't be everything to everybody. There's enough people trying to do that. But if you're confident on AJ, I can help you because this is what my client looks like. This is who I've helped and really operate that way. That again builds that trust with the client. And I have conversations all day long where somebody doesn't even know what they need. They truly don't, especially for coaching. They come to you and they may think they need a sales coach. They really need a marketing strategist. Um, They really need something else. My credibility comes when I can say, AJ, you know what? I would love to work with you in the future. But let me introduce you to a couple of people that can help you move that needle today. Your website needs to be redone, your marketing, whatever it is. Those are the first priorities. And then we can talk. So I think by really understanding who you're going to serve, but even when within that, knowing when to serve them
0: builds that
1: trust.
0: Right. Right, Darlene. Now let's look at it from this this way. We, I asked you about what to do and what not to do. But in terms of salespeople, which are again mostly business owners and coaches themselves, what are the things salespeople or these people owners should not do when they are selling?
1: Sure. So, yes, I, I you know, and that is really my target is a lot of coaches that they may be amazing coaches, but they feel icky with the sales piece of it, right? They feel like, Oh, I don't want to push to push my stuff or be inauthentic. So I think getting out of that sales idea and moving more to I'm going to have a conversation, just like today, we're having a conversation. It's not, you know, I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, this is a live teaching. We're having a conversation. So if you approach it like I'm going to have a conversation I'm going to give value regardless if this person uses me or not, that I'm going to have a great conversation. I'm going to leave that person with some kind of value that they could be successful in some way, shape or form, whether they use me or not really changes their perspective. One of the things that I will say that is a sales practice that most people do not do is follow up. A no today does not mean that they're not going to use you in the future, but we're dealing with business owners. We're dealing with busy people. AJ is not thinking about me six months from now when they need a coach, they're going, you may go with whoever's in front of you, right? So nurturing, touching base with them, not in people feel like they don't want to bother people, but the reality is that you want to make sure That when this person is ready, you want to make sure that they know what options are available. And I always keep people in nurturing campaigns. I always offer like, hey, even if you're not ready, let's hop on another call and brainstorm and see when is a good time to have the service because timing is everything. So I think follow up. I saw a statistic where 70% of salespeople do not follow up. And I'm sure a lot of those are business owners. So putting those processes in place to ensure that people are being nurtured is really critical.
0: Right. Well, well uh, said and well understood. Now this is something, you know, a lot of people will be able to use even from the show itself. And I'm sure a lot of people uh, will understand how better they can, you know, uh, use all these to help their sales process, either it's a small business or it's a coaching thing. But for more, they will have to come to you. And that is where you have to tell how people, small businesses, entrepreneurs, even coaches can connect with you so that they can make the best of your expertise, of your free resources, and also of your consulting and advice when they engage with you.
1: Yeah, so LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me. You see on my, it's Darlene Perday and I would love to connect with anybody. And again, if I am not the right solution, I have a lot of, I have a huge network of people that can help Um, and I'm more than happy to give them some starting points for those small businesses and, and people that are not comfortable with sales that want to really, you know, get to the next level.
0: Right, right. Darlene, my last question to you is, you you say that empathetic selling and relationship building are the core of who you are. Yes. And you see, and you see the world changing so much. It's all about from instant coffee to instant networking to instant sales. It happens on LinkedIn all the time. Yes. What would you like to tell? How do you see and feel about this? First, as an individual that you are, because you have been into this line, but Still, you have maintained that empathetic, empathy part, networking, relationship building part at the core of who you are. And secondly, you know, you see, the, not only you see it happening, what would you, who are very young, who have just stepped into, you know, the sales part and they are looking at LinkedIn and other online mediums to find a career, better career by boosting sales for themselves or their companies. What do you, you see?
1: Sure. So, you know, I've been in business for over 30 years. So I've seen like such change in a lot of different things. I love automation. I love technology. I love the fact that it makes our lives a lot easier, but there is nothing. The more automated, the more instant the world becomes, the more important it is for people to understand that you care about them and they crave those connections. So- Um, That is why I stay true to what I do and why I'm so successful is because people understand that I care about them as opposed to selling what I would say to newbies, just, you know, beginning sales and that type of thing um, is really stay true to yourself. Everybody is going to give you their idea of how to how to close, how to be a killer closer, how to, you know, really push people to make that decision and different things like that. Now, there are some people that are very successful in doing it that way. Um, But if that's not who you are, no matter what, if it doesn't resonate with your core values and what you what who you are as a person go by your intuition and craft it because that's where you're going to be successful is creating your authentic. There's great practices. There's great tips that I can give, but what I do is encourage people to use their authentic gifts to be able to connect with their audience. So as a young salesperson and a young person in business, I morphed into who I thought other people wanted me to be or who I thought a salesperson should be. And I kept going back to my way and that's where I found success. So I would just encourage people while it feels, while it feels scary to lean on that when you don't have experience, um, if something does not ring true with what your classes you're taking or whatever it may be, go by your gut. And also I am huge on, I'm an ongoing learner. I read tons of books. Um, I'm always listening to podcasts and I'm always trying to learn from people because even people that do things completely different, even if you're learning how you don't want to be, you could still learn something.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. On this note, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed. For joining us.
1: Thank you, AJ.